Sandra Gray. So if you listen to the previous podcast, Sandra was talking about how research and conservation, so essentially how research will lead and support conservation, and how that can turn into product, tourist product, that will benefit local communities and provide an incentive for local government to invest in the research and the conservation in the first place. So that was um, the last podcast we did together. In this one, Sandra dives into a bit more detail about the research that she's been involved in with Golden Monkeys, and that started back in 2009. And um, I do a quick intro to her anyway, so I'll um, lead into that. But um, she also talks about that and also how um, transboundary collaboration works. So I'll leave that for Sandra to describe. So here we are. This is the conversation we had a little earlier today. All right. So, um, so I'm, I'm here with Sandra Gray again. And if you listen to the last podcast, we were talking about the importance of research and how it has much wider impacts than simply research. And what Sandra is going to talk about today is a couple of things. One is to look specifically at the work she's doing with um, golden monkeys and go into a bit of detail on that and then the second thing she'll also cover in this podcast is to talk about the transboundary collaboration so what that is that's collaboration between different countries that have the same forest the same natural environment across their borders so in this case it's primarily Uganda and Rwanda but also the Congo but um, Sandra will talk about how that all works. So I'm going to hand over to you, Sandra, and um, off you go. <laughs> okay, thank you for that introduction, Graham. Um, the research with the Golden Monkeys in Magainga, that began in 2009, um, and it is still ongoing to this day. Um, the, in Magainga, there is also another um, group of Golden Monkeys called Kasinji, but that is just... Um, habituated group for tourism only, nothing to do with the research. So the research okay. group is entirely a separate troop of monkeys in a different part of the forest. Yeah. And they are called Kachima. And Kachima, it means monkey in the local um, language, okay. which I thought would be nice because they are in this part of um, Uganda. Um, so the local community, they can um, understand um, what it's all about more when they can connect with the local language and the name and 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 that kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the research began in 2009, September, and um, nothing was known about this research group. They didn't even know their home range, where they were in that part of the forest. So it was all um, groundbreaking. It was all new research. So we would go to the forest every day and try to find um, evidence of where Golden Monkey was, any um, signs, sounds. Um, we would be in that forest for the first six months, walking around, not seeing one monkey at all, not hearing anything of monkey at all. Um, it was just like looking for a needle in a haystack. We had no idea where they were. Maybe they were seeing us and just running away. Um, but then... Um, just one day we turned a corner and we started to see monkeys in the far distance. Um, we didn't know 
if it was the group the group that we wanted to research or if it was a, another group of monkey that had moved into that area. Um, but eventually, through perseverance and going into the forest every day and um, walking around that place, we started to see evidence of monkey. And so we would take GPS recordings of every sighting of monkey there so that we started to um, get a pattern of where monkeys were in that part of the forest. And so eventually we built up um, a map of their area where we were locating these monkeys. And slowly um, we discovered that this was a home range that we were seeing. And so we would um, go to the forest each day to the same places and see evidence also of their feeding. Um, so we were able to start tracking them, not only by the GPS recordings we were getting in their home range, but also by their feeding patterns. Mm -hmm. And through the feeding patterns, we discovered their movement patterns. Um, and it was seen in the end that the, move, the movement patterns of the research group are determined by their feeding patterns. So it was all coming together quite like a jigsaw. Yeah. And so as we were in the forest more and more and being able to find the monkeys more and more, um, they were beginning to get more used to our presence there. Right. So in the beginning, not to, not to put fear into them, we would only stay for like five minutes within their presence and then leave them. So every day over time, we would gradually increase the time that we were spending with the monkeys because mm -hmm. we didn't want to interfere in, in any way with their um, normal behaviour. Um, and so even the distance between us and the monkeys that was also gradually increased day by day. Um, but, you know, 10 years later, um, and um, the, the group is, is becoming used to us, but it takes time because we have determined that this population of golden monkeys, there's more than 100 monkeys. So we're not going to see every monkey every time that we're with them. Some are going to be behind, some are going to be in front. But um, the younger monkeys, the, the juveniles and the babies, because the adults are more used to us than the juveniles and the, and the babies, they'll not have the same kind of fear because yeah. they're seeing that the, the adults are not running. Um, so they'll become more used to us more quickly. Um, and also, the alpha male um, now, who we named Museveni, is the only one we can actually identify at the moment, because all golden monkeys look the same right. size-wise. We can identify different sex, because the, the colours are different with male and female slightly. But the, the alpha male, he's very much a, a very large... Um, monkey and he really lets us know his presence even his vocals now we're understanding so the only one really that we can identify is is the alpha male and the rangers they've named him Museveni because that's the president of uganda so again <laughs> the name is important because everybody can relate to to the name yeah um, the alpha male and the alpha male also we're, we're understanding his role within that group 
um, through his position within that group, his relationship with with the other monkeys and how he's positioned with them, even through when they're moving through the forest, his position is vital to that group. He's usually behind so that he can make sure they all pass safely. And mm. then he, he goes behind also. Um, and also, we are hearing his vocals now also. So we're understanding the different vocals that these monkeys have. And some are so very subtle that if you really have to hear, um, but we're we're building up a picture of of how these vocals, um, how the other monkeys in the troop respond to his vocals, okay. just by seeing how they behave. Um, and also, what is interesting is um, how the, the other species within the forest, how they have a relationship with these monkeys as well, um, because it's it's like. If there is danger within the forest, say there are eagles flying high, um, these are the predators of the babies of the of the troop. And so, if an impala, uh, if a bush book um, sounds an alarm call, the monkeys will respond also. Right. So there is this connection between the different species within the forest that we are seeing as well, as far as communication and how they understand each other as well. Um, so they have the same so, predators, so they would recognise that once in a while, absolutely, yes, there's a predator around. So that everyone needs to yes. be aware. Everybody uh, yeah. responds to that to that alarm call, yeah. um, which is really interesting. Yeah. So it just it it shows just how closely this ecosystem all fits together, mm. even between the different species. Yeah. Um, and like with the elephants in the area. They also um, feed on um, some of the same fruits as the as the monkeys. Um, so the elephants, they, they act as a, a seed disperser for the feeding, for the fruiting trees that the monkeys feed on. Right. Um, so as the, as the elephants are moving through, through the forest, um, they disperse the seeds, the, the fruiting trees will grow. So this will extend the home range eventually um, of the golden monkeys um, because as the group becomes bigger, they need a larger home range. Um, and what I found really um, interesting about the golden monkeys is their movement patterns um, because within their home range, they move within um, a certain way. Um, for so many days, they'll be in one particular area. Then they'll move on to another area. Um, so, so they really um, have this map it, that they they know where to go um, when they're um, searching for food. They don't just move anyhow. They have certain route, routes through the forest. It's like a network of roads to the monkeys. Yeah. Um, and all this information will be passed down to the younger monkeys also. Um, so as they're moving through the forest, when they're passing through the trees, they, they actually use the same branch every time. They can't fail and they will move in single file. And it's like when they're in one particular area, we can even predict now the next day where these monkeys are going to be. So instead of moving through the forest, searching for them, we can more or less go to their feeding site where we predict they'll be that day and yeah. sit and wait for them to come sometimes yeah. which is is good because it's like we're not we're not 
chasing monkeys through the forest. Yeah. We're letting them come to us, um, which which is it, it's all on their terms. It's not yeah. on our terms. It's entirely up to the the monkeys if they want to be with us, if they don't want to be with us. We don't run after them through the forest. Yeah. Um, so they're gaining our trust, um, mm. and and we it's like now um, the trust is so strong that the alpha male. He will even turn his back to us. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't watch us anymore. He turns his back to us. He just feeds as he normally would. They groom as they normally would. Their behaviour is no way interfered with at all. Which for me, that means we've done it the right way. Absolutely. Because you don't want monkeys just sitting there and looking at you like this. No. You know that no. the, for tourism it might be a nice thing, but for research. And for the monkeys themselves, I don't think that is a good thing. I just want their natural behaviour, them to feel comfortable, and for us not to influence them in, in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and I think that way we, we get a bit better picture. Um, yeah. You've picked uh, up on uh, an important uh, point there. Um, it was something that reminded me when I was in Zimbabwe, We were, I was talking to somebody there who'd been working with elephants for many years, and he said that this business, mm. where there's a local overpopulation of elephants, where they relocate them, it, it actually causes major problems because the matriarch there, she knows the area she's grown up in. She knows where to find food, water, regardless of the conditions. But when you put her somewhere else, she can't do that anymore. She can't look after her herd, her group. And yes. the saying, they've actually seen them go mad. So this business about relocating, I think it's important to understand that, as you've said, with the monkeys, they really know where they live intimately and they know where to get food. They've got their routine and, and you can't just pick up a group of animals and relocate them somewhere else because you you just cause them all sorts of problems. And so with them growing, they would need to, have to expand their range naturally so that they learn the bigger range as, as they grow into it. Absolutely. Um, yes, that, that's that's really interesting. Um, and um, what was I going to say now? Um, I've lost track of where Sorry I am. <laughs> so no, 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 no. It's okay. Um, but yes, um, th this this information that they have um, mm. that they pass down to the young. This is so so important. And I think I think it reflects how it is with with every species. Um, within the wild yeah. um i've even seen it with with birds actually as well at lake mutanda um, um this is just another example but um at lake mutanda there's one particular tree and it's where i always find one particular group of birds mm -hmm. so if that tree ever was cut down these birds wouldn't have that that tree for whatever reason they are there all yeah. the time yeah. So um, within the natural habitat, all of these these crossing points that the monkeys use, the trees that they use, the branches, if there's any disturbance within that home range, they are going to be completely at a loss for some yeah. time. Um, so it's important when conserving that you're not only conserving the species, but really everything within their environment. And that goes down to every single tree. Has a role to play. Yeah, it's a very um, intimate connection between. Species. Yeah, between the animals and their environment, it's a very intimate 
connection that they have. Very, very intimate. Yeah. So any disturbance whatsoever is going to have an impact. Yeah. Um, and we're even seeing that now with climate change as well, because the, the fruiting trees, sometimes they ripen too soon. Sometimes they dry out too soon, do the fruits. Um, um, so um, climate change is another thing that, we're, that we are monitoring very closely. Yeah. But um, that's a difficult thing to do with limited resources. But, but in yeah. some way, we are managing. Um, yeah. So everything plays a role within the natural environment, all the species, all the plants, um, the trees. Even the fungi that is there, um, it's, it's just a complete book to read every day. Yeah. Um, but it's really important that you understand what you are seeing. And if you don't understand it, you have to find the answers. You know, why is this happening? Ask all these questions all the time. Why is it happening? When is it happening? Mm. Um, for what reason? Um, is it, is it, an, is it a, a normal progression with the environment or is it something that is out of the ordinary yeah. uh, and it's only by being there long term that you're going to see all of these things yeah. one year two years you're not going to know anything at all it has to be long term yeah um, and consistent every single day yeah um, even on christmas day yeah um so uh, um but um, as speaking of, of um, the climate as well, I mean, in Maganga, one of the real problems we have um, with the monkeys is when we have um, wind. Wind is can be very strong in Maganga. Yeah. Um, and so it's very hard when there's wind to locate monkeys. Um, you can't hear them. You can't see them. Um, the wind is, is plays a big role in disturbing um, the research. Um um, you wouldn't think so, but it, it is a real problem at times. Yeah. Um, but it, it's um, it's funny how, how you become so used to these conditions that you quickly learn to adapt in the forest yourself. All your senses become heightened all the time. Your mm. smell, um, you know, what you're observing. Um, everything just becomes more in, in tune with the environment. Yeah. Um, and that's only through time as well. Yeah. Um, so, um, and since we were in that part of the forest, in the beginning, we would come across wire snares um, in certain places and the illegal taking of bamboo. Yeah. But now that we've been there for so long, we're kind of acting like a deterrent because it's not often we see these problems. Um so that's a real positive thing yeah. um, that comes out of, of doing research in such a place. Um, so, yeah, their the movement patterns, their home range, the feeding, um, the relationships between other species, it all comes together. Um, yeah. And now, um, because it's now a tourist product as well, it, it's really diversified um, what um, going to see a, a research group is all about. Um, it's not like just going to the monkeys for one hour you take the photo. 
and that is it. You come away. When we take the tourists there, they learn everything about the forest as we're moving through the forest. They learn everything about the relationship, the feeding patterns, how we track them, the home range. It's the whole thing about the forest. So it's a completely new product. And um, why I think this is important is because it gives the outside world a better understanding about research, about conservation, and about what we are trying to do, that it is a, a, a park that is working to conserve um, mm -hmm. and not just as a park for, for a tourism um, product. Um, but we are conserving it for them to be able to come and, and see the gorillas, see the monkeys, yeah. um, hike the mountains. Mm -hmm. So um, I hope that the, the wider public that come, they take back a different kind of um, picture about yeah. the national parks within Uganda um, and what and why we do what we do mm. um, and why we need more help doing what we do as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really important part as well um, because the, the tourists come back out of that forest with a different kind of mindset, I suppose, mm. um, to what the national park is all about. Um, and I've never had a bad um, feedback from any tourist. Um, mm. And it also it gives them the opportunity to understand the work of the rangers um, and, and how they're involved um, within, mm. um, you know, Ugandan Wildlife Authority. Um, I the, think sometimes the, they... Sorry, I was going to say, sorry. what's the kind of feedback or the most common feedback you get from people who do go out in the forest? What's the sort of light bulb that goes on for them um what are the biggest um, moments from having that experience um it, it's just the whole forest experience actually yeah um they just so enjoy being being in the forest and moving through the forest mm. and and having to sometimes take a, a difficult um route through the forest right yeah. um it, that that's that's the excitement that that they that they get. Um, mm. I mean, I had one visitor. Uh, we we really finished for the day. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon, and he says, "Oh no!" He says, "I want to walk further. Take me further into the forest." So we had to go for another couple of hours. He, he left the forest. This was about five o'clock, wow. um, and this was from first thing in the in the morning. But he just wanted to spend more time in yeah. the forest. Yeah. Um, so, and I've had, I've even had some visitors say to me that it's been more exciting than seeing um, the gorillas. Yeah. And I think maybe partly because within that area we have buffalo and elephant as well and bushbuck, right. right? Which we can't fail with buffalo, and we can't fail with um, buffalo. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't yeah. always see elephant, but they know that they're around. Yeah. So I think they get this added excitement yeah. that they have these other species that they might come across, you know, while also they're you're walking. The you're not you're not in a car. You're, you're walking in the forest. So it's a different experience yeah. when you're with an animal like that that most people see from a car <laughs> when you're standing totally with them. <laughs> Hopefully at a reasonable totally. distance. Yes. You're, you're there with them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean there was one incident with um, a couple of tourists, and we had um, we were surrounded by elephants at one point, 
and the rain was coming down and we just thought how are we going to manage these elephants with the tourists mm. um so um we always shoot scare you know yeah for elephant and buffalo but the elephants weren't weren't um adhering to the sh to the shooting <laughs> to um, <laughs> they, they were they were not you know they're so used i suppose but mm. so one of the rangers he had a really good idea um he was wearing a poncho because of the rain so he threw his he took his poncho off he threw it down um so that the elephants that were coming they would be distracted for a couple of minutes while we tried to you know uh, move further away at a quicker yeah. speed. And, I mean, you can't move through the forest very quickly. No, and no. it's not a good idea to run. No. So we managed eventually um, to leave the elephants in peace. But the tour, the tourists, they said, wow, what an experience. You couldn't have planned it. No. And that's what they loved about it. Yeah. Because it was just yeah. something out of the ordinary. It wasn't planned, you know, just the unexpected. But yeah. they just thought it was wonderful. And I thought, my goodness me, how scary that was really in reality. <laughs> but you can't let the tourists know how um you know how the situation could be really. So um but they absolutely loved it. Yeah. So that's yeah. another um instance of yeah, you know, um of enjoying, yeah, you know, the cool. unexpected in the forest because you can't predict anything. No, it isn't um, about the environment, it's an environment. It's, yeah. It's true. And another thing is as well, it's like sometimes it's quite difficult to, to track the monkeys. Sometimes yeah. it can take a few hours before we actually get the monkeys. And I always think, oh, maybe the tourists are going to become tired, you know, and lose interest. Yeah. But they always say... That the longer it takes, it's more exciting for them because they're, they're tracking monkey themselves, you know, yeah. and they're having to move further. Um, so they find that quite exciting as well. Yeah. Um, when when they've got to really work work for the experience of being with the monkeys. Yeah. Um, and then when when they are with the monkeys, um, they they're just totally in awe of them because. The monkeys are acting naturally. They're jumping, they're grooming, they're making mm. their vocals. Um, there's just no kind of, it's all natural behavior. Well, as you say, um, they've got used to people seeing. being around in small numbers. So, as you say, they're more comfortable. So, for people visiting, they're, they're getting a real natural experience. It's not the, the monkeys being wary of them, they're, they're just, I assume, pretty much ignoring them. Yes, yes, which yeah. which is which is how I want it to be. Yeah. I don't want the monkeys, you know, sitting there looking at the visitors like this. For me, that's not good. No. And I always I always um, think as well. It's up to the monkeys. If the visitors don't see them, they don't see them. Yeah. You can't make the monkeys appear just because yeah. visitors are there. It's the natural yeah. world. These things happen. You know, um, you can't always get the perfect picture. That's yeah. wildlife. Um, it's not a zoo. No. Um, so that that's that's how I feel personally. But I know maybe the odd tourist thinks, well, you know, I've paid my dollars. I want a nice picture of monkey. Um, but that that's a zoo. You know that those sort of people. You need to understand when you go to 
any wild environment that the chance you know nothing yeah. is guaranteed and I, I know that from doing a lot of wildlife photography now that a lot of times you can come away yes. I mean even with chimpanzees when I was in Uganda I think I got about two or three pictures after hours of trekking because I, I, I just couldn't get in the yes. shot the the animals weren't cooperating we we're on slope they're having to cut through yes. vegetation so we can get a look and then of course the chimps just move on yes. <laughs> it became uh, yes. you know sort of hours of nothing and unfortunately that is sometimes what happens and it's just that's why yeah. getting a picture it, is so rewarding because it is definitely not guaranteed at all. It's not guaranteed at all, <laughs> no. And I, I think it's like when when visitors they've seen all these um, wonderful documentaries with um, yeah. you know David Attenborough, you know, but they don't realise the work that goes on behind the scenes for him to be able to do what he does. Absolutely, um, you know. So I, I just I just hope they take back this this message, you know, that it, it's not all, you know, glorious wildlife all the time. It's a mm. lot of hard work that goes on, no. and, and and you're out there in the rain and the wind and the cold, and, and you know you've only got a chapati to eat, and <laughs> you know, and you can't yeah. find the monkeys anywhere. It's it's um, a good thing if you like. I just think they've gone completely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if you, but, if you like but, trees, you're okay because there's normally plenty of those around, and you can guarantee they'll be there. Absolutely, <laughs> a good place to but start. I always say the harder you have to look for the monkeys, the more you are actually learning about the monkeys. True. Because yeah. if you went into the forest and you found them straight away, yeah, you wouldn't really be learning much about their home range, their feeding, um, their movement patterns. So it's only by struggling to locate mm. the monkeys that you are really learning about them. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It, it's nothing lost at the end of the day. In fact, you've gained even more by not locating the monkeys so easily. Yeah, um, But that's very hard for some people to, to understand. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Did, did you want to say something about the transboundary collaboration? The transband yeah, just so, to explain so, that a bit. Yeah. Yeah, the Transboundary Collaboration, that's a collaboration between um, Rwanda, Uganda and Congo. And that's because the Virunga Massif, where the golden monkeys are found within that forest, it stretches all three countries. So to really understand how to conserve and to understand the problems, um, you really have to look at the whole of the forest. So to get information from Rwanda and Congo, and, and and now we are in Uganda doing it, it gives a, a better understanding and a better way forward um, to conserve. And people are coming together to share their knowledge, their experiences. Um, and it's only by that that you're going to really be able to conserve such a large forested area. You yeah. have to come together and work as a team. Yeah. It's not just a forest for Uganda. It's not just a forest for Rwanda. It's a forest for all three countries. Yeah. So this transboundary collaboration between the wildlife authorities is so, so important. I just think it makes it makes the, the area more secure as well. Yeah. Um, with it being in a, in a politically strategic position yeah. that can become unstable at times. Yeah. So... For that reason, also, is particularly important. I think. Yeah. Um, 
And so now I, I returned from a visit to Rwanda just a few weeks ago to speak with the person at that side who's doing the same as what I'm doing at this side. Right. And it was a very interesting meeting. It wasn't, it was just an informal meeting. And we just talked and talked for hours about monkeys in the forest. Yeah. And we were, we were both seeing the same things and getting the same results. So it gave us both um, hope that we are, we are both doing it the right way. Yeah. Because we're seeing the same, the same success, the same problems. Yeah. Um, and so I plan to go back in um, in a few weeks also to spend more time at that side to see wow. how they've expanded their program there because they have more resources. And then there will come a time when that person is going to come and join me at this side as well yeah. to see how we are at this side. And yeah. hopefully one day we will both get to go to the Congo as well. Yeah. Things will go down a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the, I mean the people from Congo they also visit this side as well. I've I've met them before in Magahinga some years back. Yeah. Um So everybody is is you know doing their bit so to speak on yeah. all three sides, which is really um, it's hopeful and it's good. Um, and I can't think of a better way forward. Um, mm. And what we want to do, speaking with the Rwandan side, is. We want to even give this more importance, mm. um, like what the gorillas have. We yeah. want this to be just as big and just as important. Um, and I think eventually, if we keep determined, if we keep the passion there, it it will happen. It Absolutely. will happen. Um, so that that's um, it's that's a real positive thing yeah. Yeah. Um, for the the massive. Um, and for the local people around, whether they be in Rwanda, Uganda, or Congo, because the, through the transboundary collaboration, um, that means that the communities can come together more, um, education can come together more, everybody can come together mm. and be a part of the whole thing and benefit as well. And I think if you've got the communities on your side from all three countries, then, you know... It, it can't be a bad thing. Um, yeah. yeah. So the programs that they have in Rwanda, because they have so many organizations there because of the gorillas, and it all stemmed from Diane Fossey being there yeah. in such a big way. So what they do in Rwanda, I want to implement all of that in Uganda. Right. I want to get a template from that side and bring it to the Ugandan side. And so we can do the same here as what they do in Rwanda. Because they have a big connection with the community there. They have a big connection to education as well. Yeah. Um, so to see how they do it will, will really, you know, um, be good for this side as well. I think it will encourage the people to be a bit more proactive on the Ugandan side. Mm. Um, that That's so good because I wasn't sure if it was kind of exchanging data or information and I, and obviously some of that goes on, but also looking at what's working in one area that hasn't been implemented in another and helping to set kind of plans or proposals in, in, in progress at least so that they can begin to be replicated yes. elsewhere. So it sounds like Rwanda's a bit ahead yes. of Uganda at the moment. I guess Congo, when things settle down, will be able to um, follow yes. the lead as well. Yes. The only thing um, 
about Rwanda is their golden monkeys now have become so used to people that they are now crossing the boundary and they're going into the farming land uh, um, okay. a lot. And yeah. they have they have totally no fear of, of, of people. Mm. Their natural behavior has been completely um, impacted upon. Um, and the, the problem with that is when monkeys come out of a national park, they're not protected by law. Yeah. Yeah. So farmers can poison them. Yeah, they'll see them as a pest if they're destroying yes. crops or yes, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, a vermin or whatever you want to call it. So they don't have the protection. Yeah, um, when they come out, the the good thing about Magahinga is we have the regeneration zone, um, which was farmland before, right, within the national park, and it has not regenerated. Um, it's taken a long time to regenerate, but that is a good thing in really um, as far as the research is concerned because it acts as a buffer zone for the monkeys because their f food is not there um, in a big quantity at the moment. It is regenerating yeah. and some of their food resources are starting to appear, but not in big numbers. So the monkeys won't, I hope, not come down to the regeneration zone and then cross into the farmland. I hope it will continue in some way to act as a buffer zone. Yeah. But it's only through time that we that we will see what will happen. Exactly. Um, mm. So, yeah, they have that. That is a problem in Rwanda. Yeah. Um, so I hope it doesn't happen this side. Yeah. That's why with with the research group, I wanted to take the time and not rush it because if you rush it and these monkeys become too used you're going to you're going to get these problems if you take the time with them and do it on their terms you're not going to um have an impact on their behavior as such yeah, uh, yeah. just let them be you know if yeah. they want to be near let them move to you don't keep moving to them yeah. um you know keep that distance keep keep that that boundary mm. between you and them i think that's important with any species yeah it's a difficult um, balance isn't it you don't want them as you say getting too used to you so there's no fear yes because that that becomes yes. counterproductive in the end yeah yes okay yeah. Um, yeah but it has been shown um with other research groups um in other parts of the world that monkeys, they can eventually tell the difference between a researcher, a tourist, and a poacher just by the behaviour of those people. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's an interesting one as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, thanks very much for taking me through that, Sandra, and for, for everyone who's listening. Um, it's really interesting to learn a bit more about how the research kind of goes on in practice and also... Um, how different countries where they have a um, a shared um, access to a, a natural area, how they, they do work together to try and learn from one another and not repeat mistakes and find the best way forward to protect well, both the animals yes. and in that also the local economies as well because everything ties together. So um, that's been very interesting. Totally. Yes. Yeah, so thanks very much yes. for your time. <laughs> okay thank you again well thank you to um sandra again for um 
given us that insight. So if you don't know anything about uh, research or, or conservation work, hopefully that's given you some insights. And um, we're planning at this point to do a third conversation, which I hope will be available uh, in the next podcast. So um, we haven't recorded that yet, but that's coming up next. So I hope you found this um, interesting and um, I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, You'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is some information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now. 